Hey, look, so last time we, as we returned to Philippians, I know, uh, as we returned to Philippians, we, I mentioned the, the movie Bisensual Man. Has anybody seen it? Oh, it's, it's a remarkable movie about a robot who wants to become um, a human. And over 200 years, he eventually is finally accepted into the human race because he's, he's had so many technological advancements. He's virtually human. Or but a soul. Anyway, his key catchphrase is, one is pleased to be of service. And he's, he's all about serving. But there is a scene in the film where that goes to the nth degree, where his one owner is dissatisfied with him, and so he commands him to walk upstairs, and he does, and then he commands him to walk out of the win upstairs window, and he does, and he crashes to his destruction. And, and so, so this robot was prepared even for self-sacrifice. In order to please. As we move from Timothy to Epaphroditus that we're looking at this morning, the second of the two that Paul puts forward, we see one who is also prepared for self-sacrifice, to make the ultimate cost. It's what we're looking at today. Paul is at the end of this chapter, although there weren't really chapters, but end of this section, and he closes it off by we said what is what we said is narrative. Okay, so it's not prescriptive in the sense that it's telling us what to do. It's narrative. It's explaining what occurred. And we can learn a lot from what occurred, but we have to be careful making major doctrines for mere narrative. And so we'll observe, and what we've observed is that Paul is putting these two characters, Timothy and Epaphroditus, forward as an illustration to finish off his sermon. That is done in 1 to 18. And that's what we're looking at today. Last time we looked at Timothy, he said he was prepared to serve a great cost. In, in Epaphroditus, we're going to see that he's prepared, I'm struggling with my words, I know, he's prepared to serve a great sacrificial cost. And let's look at that together. So the second point, the gospel calls for self-sacrifice in Jesus' service. Epaphroditus, verse 25. But I think it's necessary to send back to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. This is the issue with Bible translation. I was talking earlier with Matt about different languages. Matt speaks Chinese. It's why you can't understand him. He speaks Chinese, he really does. And I think he speaks several languages from what I gather, uh, Matt. I don't speak any Chinese, but I know a phrase. Uh, correct me if this is, is way off. Ni hao ma? Is that okay? Yeah, you know where I learned that? Running. No, running up Ayers Rock. Seriously, this is 2004. We came on a holiday. Little knowing that we'd be trapped here, never able to return. Okay, we came on a holiday. I was running away as rock because our, our, camp, our leader, uh, organizer, said, you've only got half an hour, nobody's allowed to go up the rock. But I wasn't going to waste maybe my one in lifetime's opportunity not to go up, so I ran up the thing. Anyway, this Chinese fellow says, hey, Nihama, this is how you say it. So I learned that phrase. If you want to learn a language, learn on the go. The issue with language has got nothing to do with the sermon. The issue with language is that you, can, you lose something in translation. And in messenger, we lose something. That word messenger is a Greek word that we're familiar with, apostolos. What does that sound like? Apostle. 
Okay, it's not the word, English word. It, that Greek word is translated elsewhere, apostle. Here it's translated messenger. And it tells you something about biblical words with all words. Is we have to be careful just using words. Etymology is the study of words. Just using an etymological approach to interpreting the Bible. In other words, we can't just take a word and make a doctrine out of it. You have to take a word in its context to make doctrine. Apostle here is not in that narrow sense of the apostles. Epaphroditus is not one of the twelve. We all know that he's not one of the twelve. And so, so the same word denotes both sets of people. In this sense, apostle is functioning as its true Meaning and the meaning of the word apostle simply is one who sent. One. You can see why it's used by of the twelve, can't you? Because they were sent by Jesus. But it's a general word that just means sent. He is the apostle of Philippi because he's the one they sent. And so here is Epaphroditus. He's one who is sent by this church. But I think there's more to it. The reason that Paul chooses such an such a, a, a important word, I think he's suggesting something here to us. Can you see that the one they're sending is someone special? This is a key member of the church. This isn't just any old Joe. Okay? This is an intrinsic, valued, significant member of the church. And it's important to, to, to look at that when they're sending someone away to serve someone else's need, Paul's need for the gospel, they send their finest. If we were sending somebody to a church planting work, to a local church or something that needed somebody and we were losing one of our members, who would we send? Well, I know who I'd send. <laughs> okay? You know, you know, but we may be tempted to send you know, someone that we can do without. The Philippi church sends their best, their finest. Someone that Paul refers to you know, with that word that he knew full well how he was being used in this time. An apostle, somebody who sent. So to appreciate why they're sending, why they're sending Epaphroditus, Paul is in prison. Now, look, I spent some time being banged up back in 2000 uh, for quite some time. I remember when, when I was waiting for, I'd be sitting there in my cell and it's coming up to lunchtime. Guess what happens at lunchtime? I was only visiting. <laughs> I was only visiting. Okay, for six and a half years. So visiting. <laughs> Okay, that's a, bl that's a blank bit of your uh, yeah, yeah, CV, that's right. Well, when I went to visit this fella, I was like, Can I see what it's like? Seriously, can I see what it's like? You go out and let me sit inside, you know. Anyway, so we're waiting for lunch, okay. And the thing is, lunch turns up, it comes in a trolley, and it's a, an amazing selection of sarnies. Seriously, it was amazing in search first century. Roman world, if you were in prison, no trolley turned up with food. You, you have to be provided for by those who cared for you. 
And so the reason Epaphroditus is going, one of the reasons he's going, is because he's going to minister to the needs of Paul. Elsewhere we're told he's not only ministering to the needs of Paul, he's taking cash. He's taking work, money for the work. It's one of the things we, I mean, we've just had our offering. You know, we have it because of the work can function. Epaphroditus is taking support to Paul, financial support. And we'll see there's much more. Notice how he talks about him. Look, here's a, here's a caliber of what he's doing. You send, you're sending, I'm sending back Epaphroditus. He's my brother, my co-worker, and a fellow soldier. Three things. I want to just point them out to you. My brother. We think it's old hat, don't we? I mean, we've just... I mean, I've, I don't know if you have said, have you called anybody brother this morning? Maybe you have. Okay? The thing is, we don't do it, do we? And it almost sounds a bit archaic, doesn't it? Old-fashioned. I think it's good to do. Seriously, you're not using some of my texts, I'd do it to you guys. And it's, it's done sincerely, you know, because I think we have to remember there's a tie that is deeper than blood here. Epaphroditus was Paul's brother in the same sense as you are my brothers and sisters. And in the New Testament, it's broadened. Some of us are mothers and fathers. And so Paul is just reminding the church of this relationship and it's reminded to us as a Christian, hey, we have much deeper connection than merely the fact that we're members of the church. We are spiritual siblings. He's a brother. He goes deeper. He's a co-worker. That's going further. You know, you can be a brother and not shoulder the work. Here, Epaphroditus is a co-worker. And can you see how Paul is, is listening as a co not as a subservient worker, a co-worker, a partner, someone who's shouldering the responsibility, carrying it. You know, the fact that Epaphroditus is going there, taking money, taking resources. Paul starved to death in prison without food. And, and so he's a fellow worker. And, and it's something that reminds us again in our relationship, beyond just beyond brothers and sisters. Hey, we are real, real partners in gospel work. In a, in a small setting, we say this often, that's far more obvious, isn't it? When we are working, shouldering alongside each other. But Epaphroditus is a brother, co-worker, and then he goes a step further. He's a fellow soldier. A fellow soldier. It's military language. Philippi happens to be a, 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 a military colony. Okay, it's why he's perhaps using military language. But it's also where a place we're told in the letter that the Praetorian Guard is watching over him. That's the elite guard. And so in this military setting, Paul does what preachers do. You use contemporary language. I used the word sarni earlier, didn't I? That's an Aussie word because everything's abbreviated here, isn't it? <laughs> the, the real word, you may not know this, is sandwiches. Okay? That's the whole word. But, and so here Paul is using local colloquialism, if you like. And, and he's referring, he's not just merely using colloquialism for the sake of it. He's demonstrating what? What's he saying about Christian work? He's saying it's effectively a military campaign. It's of that level of significance. This is important stuff. And so here he is describing Epaphroditus 
in his important terms, a brother, co-worker, and a soldier on the front line. My, my, a soldier in Jesus. He's saying, this guy, Epaphroditus, is right with me doing the real stuff. Look, I know it's easy, and I don't know, you know as pastors, we can sometimes imagine we're the, the, the only important person in the church. It's not the case. It is true, a pastor is on the front line. It is. And thank you for your prayers in that regard. It really is, and you feel that. But here's, here's a truth that we can overlook. Every member of a church that's committed to Jesus and serving a church with passion, enthusiasm, dedication, is a co-worker on the front line. And we just had our offering, haven't we? You may not think anything of that, but your contributions financially put you, and you need to be ready for this, put you on the front line. It's what makes a pastor's job feasible. Seriously. You look at how the war effort is going from the Russian side. In order for that war campaign to continue, that we disapprove of strongly, in order for that war campaign to continue, for soldiers to do what they're doing, what do those soldiers need? Petrol. Seriously. As simple as, simple as that. Ammunition. A minister can only give himself to the study of God's word, to prayer, to pastoral word, the three significant aspects of my role. If someone's supplying fuel and that fuel line you ask military combatants and generals when they're attacking attacking an opposing enemy what do they aim for what do they want to cut off the supply line that's frontline work can you see that you're giving when you dipped into your pockets earlier or when you do it on online you are exposing yourself as a frontline worker for the kingdom of Jesus. When you stack chairs, Matt was doing it. I was sitting down and having a relax. You know, I, got to, I have to prepare to preach. Then I can't be on my feet. Okay? I have me having a relax, making sure he's doing it right. That was frontline work. Okay? That was frontline work. I mean, I mean, you appreciate that, don't you? <laughs> sitting on the seats. And so I want you to realize, Christian. That, that, that we're far more frontliners involved in military campaign than we sometimes credit ourselves for? The Lord bless you. Fellow co-workers. It's what Epaphroditus is here. And, and notice that for him, this, 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 this goes way into the territory of sacrifice. You see, on Epaphroditus, you can smell. You can smell war. You can smell it on him. Listen to this. For he longs for all of you and he's distressed because you, he heard, you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. And he almost died. But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. So what seems to be happening here, friends, is, look, he's a delegate from Philippi. 
okay? He's not that accompanied by others because he's carrying money. He didn't carry money uh, unless you were accompanied by others in that situation, even though if I ever carry money. I don't know, I'm always nervous. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't be telling you this in case you ever mug me. I stick it in my shoe. Okay, I'm not going to tell you which shoe. Okay? <laughs> okay? You know, <laughs> just in case I get mugged. Seriously. I mean, when you have my frame, it's one of the fears you have if you carry money. You know, hey, really. And so here's Epaphroditus. He's carrying money. He's no doubt accompanied by others. There's a delegation here. Okay? And he has no man flu. I know you ladies think we guys suffer with this imaginary illness, man flu. It's real flu, okay? Right? Right, okay. It is. This is serious. Epaphroditus is on the brink of death. And again, we don't appreciate it because it's so easy. You dial, it almost says 999. What would happen if you dial 999 here? Would anything happen? Yeah, yeah okay. Zero, 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 yeah? Okay, if you dial zero, 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 somebody comes and gets you. So long as you paid your fee. Okay, well, I think they get you anyway, don't they? If you were ill in first century in a Roman colony, you probably died. Seriously. If you got ill, you know, there's not a lot they can do for you. Except hope. And so, to be ill in this situation is dire, and for... Epaphroditus to be ill on a journey. Okay, he hasn't even got people around him. He's in a foreign place. That's what it's going. On. He's on a journey to Paul, uh, towards Paul. He's fallen ill. It's that serious that he's on the brink of death. Listen to verse twenty-seven. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. See, this is serious. This guy was on the very edge of eternity. What do you think? What ought he have done in that situation? He ought to turn back. Pardon? Depends how far he is, yes. But I'm thinking at least he's got people he knows, people to care for him. He's got an established setup. But he no, he continues on. He gets to Paul. He serves Paul. Paul is about to send him back now that he's better. But here's the thing. In spite of the cost, I remember a missionary, a friend of ours, in Thailand, Suffered with malaria so significantly that the doctor said to him that unless he goes back home and stays there in the UK, he's going to die. He went back. And you know what he did? He went back. He went back home to the UK and then went back and died. He went back knowing he'd die. But he went back. Because the work was more important than his life. Here's Epaphroditus. He goes on knowing that when he gets to Paul, he isn't going to have his family. He isn't going to have his friend. He isn't going to have his network. He, he, he could most possibly die if he doesn't die in Ruth. And yet he continues. He moves on and he presses on. He almost died, says Paul. And he does this. Look, to, to, to support Paul, we'll see later in verse 13. That is in verse 30, Ricky, which should be in verse 30. He almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. What stayed his death? It's this second part of verse 27 there, Ricky. He almost died, but God had mercy on him. And I think what Paul is telling us is 
This is extraordinary. I'm going to say a few things today that I want you to think very carefully about and hear me out. Because I want you to notice Paul's tone here. I want to suggest that this mercy and his healing and his being spared was something out of the ordinary and unexpected. That's the language here. It was out of the ordinary and unexpected. Listen to him. He almost died. Okay? But God had mercy on him. This is AD 60-ish. The church has been gone for three decades. And with the beginning of the church, there was an explosion. Mammoth, wide-region explosion. What was happening? What was happening? An explosion of? New churches. New churches and persecution and an explosion of the, because with S or M, the supernatural or the miraculous. There was an explosion of it. It started with the epicenter was Jesus. Everywhere he went. What happened? Everywhere he went, there was an explosion of the miraculous. It continued with the apostles. Everywhere they went, there was an explosion of the miraculous. There was. But I can't see in the New Testament that that was normative. And by the time Paul is writing, this is no way normative. You don't hear Paul say, and he got ill, but hey, amen. God zapped him and he was okay. What are you worried about? Flesh wound. He's not talking like that, is he? He's talking in very grave, dire, serious language. He almost died. But God stepped in. Whatever occurred in those early starting out of the church, that explosion wasn't the same three decades on. And it seems to me, as you read scripture and the, and the response and you read the epistles, that the miraculous is will never cease because God is a miracle worker. The supernatural will never cease because God is a supernatural God. But what certainly happens as the church moves on is that the explosion, the nuclear warfare, turns into more localised explosions of God's work. And so we begin to see pockets of the supernatural, but nothing like the level that we see in Jesus' ministry, and hence the tone of Paul. Indeed, he was ill. He almost died. I was ready for it. He almost seems to be suggesting he was resigned to it. And he's a super apostle. He's a super apostle. And yet he can talk about someone who's on the brink of death as I expected. I braced myself for the worse. But God had mercy on him. And I think he's... he's, he's I think what we need to understand that the supernatural is exactly what it sounds like. It's supernatural. That the miraculous is exactly what it sounds like. Miraculous. That these are not ordinary events. They're not regular. They are special visitations of God's mercy in circumstances. Sometimes the starting of a new church, an explosion of the miraculous in Africa. You can read about that in India. 
But you go there 10 years later and it's not the same. Can you see the point? And that, so, so we do see this, the, the miraculous, but to the extent that we saw it in Jesus' ministry, Paul doesn't see that. Paul doesn't see that. And he is the greatest of all apostles. And so he prepares himself for this. And I think it teaches us this, and we learn this on the, on the theology course, that when we read the Bible, we have to read it as in a biblical theological format. In other words, it's a, it's a revelation that's continuing and developing. We have to read salvation historically. In other words, that at certain epochs in history, God does something. For example, let me give you an example. When Moses came on the scene, what did you see an explosion of? You did! Okay? A couple of decades later, that is not the case. When Elijah comes on the scene, what did you see? An explosion, but and with the and with his with his follower, okay, Elisha, but beyond them, okay, and so and and they were two key characters, Moses and Elijah. The explosion of the miraculous always comes in Scripture with key turning points. And so, as we read Scripture, yes, we see these. I've lost my notes. As we see these great, excuse me, this is really weird. Oh, there we go. Do you know what I was panicking about? Did I charge her last night? Yes, I did charge her last night. There it is. And so here's what we see, is that God works miraculously. But the explosion that we hear of in Jesus' time was associated with the establishment of the new covenant. Like every explosion in the Bible is associated with key events. Thereafter, we see the miraculous much more localized, much more specific, and less regular, but nevertheless. And, and here's, here's what we see with, with, with Epaphroditus. He's almost on the verge of death, but what happens? But God had mercy on him at the 11th hour. At the 11th hour. He was indeed almost died, but God had mercy mercy on him and he tells me this is that we never give up hope however normative it is that that every person who walks through the doors of living world bible church doesn't leave completely healed however normative that is okay okay i know that's true because every time i walk out there i still have to wear my glasses okay okay so either i'm a terrible sinner or or the spontaneous healing of everybody within your region is not a normative, as it was in Jesus' day, is revealed by the fact, tells us this much, is that there is always hope. The fact that Epaphroditus was healed tells us we never give up hope. That God can step in and do the miraculous even at the 11th hour. Look, Nick, Nick Hawkes, the planter of Living Word Bible Church, what's called Rivergate, at its uh, inception. Isn't he an example of that? Uh, someone at the 11th hour, I don't know how many times Nick has been on the brink when it was time to give up all hope, and yet God had mercy on him. And God is having mercy on him. But you talk to Nick and you talk to Mary. And he is preparing for death. And he has prepared for death many times. And, and yet, simultaneously, he's a man of faith. 
And so in the case of someone like Nick, yes, we do see God do what he does with Epaphroditus, and at the 11th hour, he steps in, and that guy's still walking. Praise the Lord. Let me tell you about Nibel Qureshi. Katie talked about him last week. You know, he's one of my heroes. I love the guy. Seriously. Can't get enough of him. I love this book. Seeking Allah, Seeking Jesus. Oh, yeah. Finding Jesus. Okay. I watch hours of his apologetics work, defending the faith. Talk about a frontline worker. You don't get a one like him. Do you know, he was unique. I used to sob in thankfulness to God because of what he was doing. There's nobody else like him, okay, who could do what he did on the platform that he did. But at the age of 34, he died of cancer. For months, within a year of being diagnosed, he was dead. For months, he had aggressive treatment for cancer. And you know what Nabil did? And you can watch all the videos on YouTube. He, he, he chronicled his, 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 his medical history at the time. And you can hear him saying, I believe God is going to heal me. You can hear him say that. And he believed that to the end. But his last post in 2017, in September, he said, the doctors had given up on him given up on treating him and had put him in palliative care. He died. In his prime, as probably one of the greatest apologetics in the Islamic world that we've ever seen. Okay? In his prime. He believed. He believed. And millions of his of, of, of his followers, the Christian community, believed that God is going to heal him. And he died. He died. The age where there's an explosion of the miraculous spontaneously is not the age in which we live. It's not the age in which we live. Sometimes God lets his most faithful frontliners, the best, succumb to the natural order of this world. They die. They die. It's a Christian. We need to be biblical in our theology. We call living word Bible churches because we want to be. And in our illness, put your trust in Jesus. Okay? In our illness, pray, pray, and pray. Get prayer groups. Ring a pan. Get a group to pray for you. And go and see a doctor. Call 000. Avail yourself of every opportunity to have this address by the means that you have available to you. And if the prognosis is terminal, prepare for palliative care.
and put your house in order. You see that? I was moved amazingly last, last year, just over a year, talking to Helen about George and how she and George had been speaking about George preparing for death when his trial treatment was showing positive signs and when we were all praying for his healing. She was talking to him about preparing for death. Because she's a biblical Christian. That's why. Because she's grounded in the word. She and George. That's why. Because they understood something of the era that we live in. It's not the era that Jesus walked on this planet. All these immediate apostles. That we live in a time when the miraculous are special supernatural occurrences. Like God's will. And at his choosing. And that very often and very regularly, God chooses to let the natural order of events overtake even his most loyal and godly people. And if I, if I ever met a loyal and godly man, a living word Bible church, and I've never met him, George should be one, wouldn't he? God sometimes takes our best. And the gospel calls for self-sacrifice in Jesus' service. For Epaphroditus, friends, he almost died. Paul expected it. And he wasn't shocked. Or didn't count himself incompetent. And not being able to say a magic word and make him better. The gospel calls for self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice in Jesus' cause. So for Epaphroditus, look, Paul, having recovered, having got to Paul, he now wants to send him back. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him back so that when you see him again, you may be glad and have less anxiety. They're obviously concerned about their, their finest. He's better, but is he better? Is he really better? You know, we want to minister to him. And so Paul now finally, you know, he served a great purpose. He's sending him back. Verse 29. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him. No doubt he doesn't need to do this for a reminder that we're to give honour where honour's due. Look, I really appreciated the fact, not because that our kids, that you clap the, the kids when they sang. Because, because it's nice and good to do, to show our appreciation, to give honour where one is due. You know, I, grew, uh, I have had a really diverse church background, really. One of my long-term church backgrounds, it, if you clapped anybody, or even said, thank you, that was good. Boy, you were stealing God of his glory. How dare you give a human glory? I grew up in that context. Seriously. You know what Paul says? Honour men like him. When you see great faithfulness, commitment, dedication, sacrifice for Jesus, honour men like him. Or women like him. The Bible says, doesn't it? Give to everybody what's due. If honour, then honour. So Epaphroditus was ready to make and almost did make 
the ultimate sacrifice for the gospel. And so he serves the Paul's second model. First is Timothy in his sacrificial service. Epaphroditus is second in his, all, in his readiness and almost self-sacrifice for the cause of the gospel. He did that in self-interest. When he went out there, he wasn't volunteering like David to go on the front line, go and watch the battle. I want to go and see Paul fighting the gospel cause. He wasn't fighting, he was imprisoned. No, he was going, knowing it was going to be costly, being prepared for that. He was going to travel. I'm not traveling. Hey, I love traveling. Okay? That's why we're always at it. We're always somewhere. <laughs> Whenever we get a chance, you know, boy, it's hard at the moment with fuel prices. Seriously, I'm always watching the thing in here. But we love traveling. This wasn't like that. This wasn't a trip to go and see Paul. It was dangerous. You're exposing yourself to all kinds of bandits, illness, all kinds of difficulty. He travels, and he travels 1,400 kilometers. And look, I'm going to show you a picture here. 1,400 kilometers. You know how long that takes? 19.41 hours from Philippi to Rome. On a bus. Okay. If you've got a car, how do you think, think Epaphroditus got there? Good old boots. He probably didn't even have boots. Good old sandals. He can barely walk 5k in. He travelled 1400k in sandals that were wearing out most probably. He was going on a cause to support and serve, aiding and abetting. This guy was an enemy of the state, Paul. Okay? And exposing himself to all this. Why well, he nearly died? This was a deliberate, willful choice. Knowing the risks, being prepared for death, regardless he went. Because Epaphroditus believed that the gospel and upholding the gospel and financing the gospel and supporting the gospel and co-working in the gospel was more important than his life. He believed that. He believed that. And so Paul presents him as an example. Here's a church that's fighting. It's disunified. It's, it's, it's caught up in silly, petty issues when it should be focused on the gospel. And Paul wants to knock their heads together and he says, here's Timothy, would you follow him? And now he says, here's Epaphroditus, just look at him. But he's already said in Philippians 2, 5 to 8, Ricky there, he's already said, here's Jesus. You look at him. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Having given Jesus, he now gives a more palatable example in Timothy and now in particular with Epaphroditus. So we have, we have Timothy. And I'm going to close very shortly now, Epaphroditus. And here's what we see. Here's a man who leaves comfort, goes out of his way, putting himself in danger, knowing he may die, to serve the cause of the gospel. What do we do with Epaphroditus? He's meant to be a picture for us. He's meant to be a sermon illustration. That's what he is. He's a sermon illustration to Paul's sermon in 1 to 18. What are we to do with him? We're to emulate him. So 
what we're preaching this morning. Epaphroditus is our, I'm not your example. To a degree I am, but look, hey, I have my failings and shortfallings. Okay? And even in this regard, I know we've travelled to Australia, but I didn't walk. I had a very cosy seat on the plane. In fact, I thought that was a luxury thing to do. Thanks, thanks guys for inviting us. I love the flight. Okay? I think flight is wonderful. Yeah? And when we got here, we had a lovely house. Okay? There's an outside loo. Okay? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> okay? Okay, I've hard, I'm hardly an example of this. But Epaphroditus is. Of going of serving, of making costs, of being prepared, of being prepared, being prepared to die, being prepared for it to hurt. Can I say this? You know, if it doesn't hurt us to be a Christian, if it doesn't hurt us to serve the church, if it doesn't hurt us to support the gospel, maybe we're not doing it very well. When we give, it is meant to hurt the wallet. When we serve, we are meant to get up Matt, at 7.30 instead of 9.55. You know, it's meant to hurt. Epaphroditus served. Can I encourage you? Can I encourage me? To look at him, read him again, and ask God for the grace of the Lord Jesus to be an Epaphroditus. To go. I wonder if anybody here may one day go to another country at the cost of great personal sacrifice. And what are the local countries that are hard to do missionary work in? Indonesia? North Korea. North Korea? Oh, yes. <laughs> I wonder if you ever thought about it. Look, I'm going to close. My time is up. But whether it's going to another country, whether it's a sacrifice of being committed to church, that's a sacrifice, isn't it? It's a sacrifice of giving, which I know you do well. The Lord bless you. The sacrifice of serving, again. You know, somebody once said, for a small church, we punch above our weight. We do. We do everything that a bigger church does, don't we? With a handful of people. God bless you. You are. If that Epaphroditus is, keep on that journey. And if you, if you get ill in the way, don't turn back. You carry on and keep serving the cause for the glory of God. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ go with us. Amen.